The annual deadline for filing federal and state income taxes is a favorite of groups looking to make a point about the existing government tax burden or proposals to raise taxes. The week before your taxes were due, the group Americans for Prosperity sent a letter to the president opposed to a hike in the gas tax to fund surface infrastructure. Then on tax day, they rewrote the letter, added 34 groups in support, and shipped it off to Congress. The battle lines are being drawn over a federal funding mechanism that hasn't been adjusted since October 1, 1993, almost 26 years ago. Just how long is 26 years? Remember the movie classic Groundhog Day? It came out in February 1993, so it's a little older than the gas tax stalemate, but not by much. U.S. Senator Susan Collins, a Republican from Maine, is thinking about the immediate threats to highway funding. In a recent Appropriations Committee hearing, she worried that the absence of a budget agreement would be devastating for ongoing transportation infrastructure programs. We will soon begin work on a fiscal year 2020 bill without any such budget agreement. If we do not reach an agreement on the discretionary caps for fiscal year 2020, the total funding available for non-defense discretionary programs, such as the vital transportation programs that we will be discussing today, will fall by $55 billion. The impact of sequestration-level funding would be devastating for our nation's infrastructure and housing programs, as well as for many other critical programs. The administration's 2020 budget request, unfortunately, does not address this cap. As a result, DOT's discretionary budget is cut by $5 billion from the fiscal year 2019 enacted levels. The budget request also fails to address the looming insolvency of the Highway Trust Fund and offers no path forward after the FAST Act expires at the end of fiscal year 2020. This is Hard Facts. I'm Robert Johnson. No matter who you talk to in the real world, the one outside Washington, D.C., the view is the same. There isn't enough money being collected to pay for the billions of dollars in new projects and rehab work needed to keep our surface network safe and operational. So far, the members of the North American Concrete Alliance we've spoken with agree the biggest problem is the politics of fear. Elected officials unwilling to risk their public careers for the long-term benefit of the economy and the driving public. Our latest conversation is with Danielle Kleinhans, President and CEO of the Concrete Reinforcing Steel Institute. The corporate members of CRSI include rebar producers, which are steel mills, fabricators, placers, manufacturers of accessories such as bar support, splices, and coatings. And then we also have professional members, which include architects and engineers, basically the designers of structures across the United States. Your association or some version of it has been around a very long time. That's right. So CRSI was founded in 1924. We are quickly approaching our 100th anniversary, which makes us one of the oldest trade associations in North America. How has the business changed in nearly 100 years? 
Goodness, that's a that's a good question. Um, I would say that I think that there have been several advances in terms of the material itself. So if you look back at early building codes and early reinforcing steel, they were the reinforcing steel that's used today is much higher strength. So way back in the in the day, we would have been talking about 40 uh, ksi rebar. Then it evolved to 60. Uh, 75, and now we're talking about grades of 100 KSI or 120 KSI in terms of the strength of the rebar itself. Now, listen, you're a PhD, I think, and also an engineer, right? That's correct. I got my PhD from the University of Missouri Rolla in structural engineering and my professional engineer license when I started my career in Pennsylvania. You whipped out some terminology on me, see? That's what I'm complaining about here. (laughs) What is (laughs) a KSI? Tell me about that. You know, I don't really know what that is. Does that mean stronger today than 100 years ago? It does. So KSI is a unit of measure, so 1,000 pounds per square inch. So the K is for the 1,000, and the SI is the square inch. I am also surprised to learn, then, that we've been putting steel inside concrete for that long. Absolutely, and and even longer. So uh, rebar, although you can't see it in the structures that are around you that are made of reinforced concrete, is in in virtually everything. Virtually every structure that you would see, uh, anything that's concrete, pretty much has the rebar inside it to provide some additional strength. A pylon for a bridge that's holding up a bridge has a lot of this steel in it. I've watched them wire those cages together as they lay on their side before they drop them in the hole and then, you know, pour the concrete around them. It, th- this steel is inside so much of the infrastructure that's around us. Absolutely. So you hit the nail right on the head. So bridges and roadways are prime area where reinforcing steel is used inside of concrete. Approximately 30% of the reinforcing steel used in North America each year goes into infrastructure. But that's not all. Where else is it? Uh, it's in all the buildings that surround you, probably not so much in terms of single-family homes, but uh, multifamily residential, uh, hospitals, office buildings, you name it. Any of those that are made out of reinforced concrete would have a substantial amount of reinforcing steel in them. And then even buildings that are made out of other materials, the foundations are, are surely made out of reinforced concrete. Your website talks numbers in a few places, and one that stood out for me was this mention of 8 million tons of rebar produced each year from scrap steel. You're recycling old steel into new usable material, I guess. That's absolutely right. So most people wouldn't realize it, but reinforcing steel is more than 97% recycled. So the reinforcing steel inside the structures around you are made from old dishwashers and cars. Now, obviously, there's a a specific chemical composition and strength requirements, et cetera, that it must meet according to the specifications, but by and large, it is recycled in a a very sustainable and, and green material. The latest numbers for rebar consumption for 2018 are actually upwards of 8.8 million tons, so some increases over the previous years. Is that because construction is booming right now, or is there another reason for that increase? Uh, Yeah, I would say primarily construction. You know, we've seen growth year over year in the single digits, smaller single digits, but that's okay, slow sustained growth in the construction area. Is it safe to assume then that any federal funding bill that pays for any kind of construction gets your interest, gets the interest of your members? 
Absolutely. That number that I threw out earlier, that 30% of reinforcing steel use in infrastructure, any additional spending in that area would have a direct impact on our members and their work, their, their livelihood. Every association does some work with the federal government, Congress, elected members, staff, you know, all the people who sort of revolve around business here in Washington. What's your group's highest federal priority right now? I think it's really infrastructure spending. Uh, You know, we've been hearing out of Washington for the past several years that infrastructure is a priority, certainly something that our current president touted during his campaign. But all we've heard, you know, really is a lot of talk, a lot of agreement that something needs to be done, but not a lot of agreement around how it's going to be funded or, or, you know, how we're going to make that happen. Talk is kind of the hot commodity around Washington, and so, uh, you know, it's no different around the transportation space, unfortunately. There was some talk that uh, there might be an infrastructure package. There's always a reauthorization every six years or so. So two things moving down the line right at this moment. What is your hope for the fate of those? Are you optimistic or being cautious? How is your group feeling right now as it relates to the latest round of conversation on this topic? Sure. I'll combine those two sentiments that you just threw out there. I would say that we're cautiously optimistic. With the amount of positive talk that we've heard around the topic and the increased discussion around ways to fund the transportation and infrastructure packages, I think it does. It makes us cautiously optimistic. We'd love to see a long-term robust funding package that allows the state's to continue to plan and move forward as you would think about your own family budget if you didn't know two years down the road how much income you were going to have and thereby how much spending you were going to be able to do, you would make more cautious decisions and you would put off plans for bigger projects. And that's just what states are having to do right now. How does that planning for the certain or uncertain look in the business that your members are in, what does that look like to them? What are they putting off? What are they delaying? How are they coping? Well, so I think that in any business, if there's uncertainty, you're going to be putting off those capital expenditures, those larger projects. Fortunately, for the steel industry, which has received a lot of attention recently with the uh, 232 and the tariffs, fortunately for, for many of our members, we've seen some positive impacts of that. For others of our members, which might be smaller, we might have seen some negative impacts. But Certainly any uncertainty is going to cause you to put off any larger decisions, investments in equipment and improvements in your plant. So beyond transportation infrastructure funding, then, you're also keeping an eye on trade talks. We certainly are keeping an eye on it. CRSI is unique in the sense that we do have very large corporate members, but then also smaller independent members. And so we, uh, as a trade association, have tended to stay neutral on the trade issues, but certainly something that we're keeping our ear to the ground around. The overall outlook then, as far as you are concerned for your business, your members, the things they make, what is that? You know, I think our forecasts for 2019 are, again, uh, that single-digit, slow, sustained growth. We, like some of the other trade associations within NACA, the North American Concrete Alliance, are relying on information from the Portland Cement Association and their economists in terms of forecasts moving forward. And we see sort of 2 to 3% growth heading into 2019. The old saying is, where there's smoke, there's fire. Maybe your saying is, where there's concrete, there's steel. 
Absolutely. So the way that we look at rebar consumption and then try to forecast out is uh, is that we know that there is no reinforcing steel without concrete. So we work closely with our other concrete associations to try to look and see what the future might bring. Next week, we continue with our roundup of views from across the cement and concrete industry. That's Wednesday, May 1st on Hard Facts a podcast production of the Portland Cement Association. I'm Robert Johnson. I'll see you then.